the movie Wednesday night was pretty incredible. A lot of you were here. I know some of you could not make it. If you would like to um, take a copy home, see me. I'll see what I can put in your hands because it is kind of a uh, life-altering kind of film. We're using it to kick off our small group ministry here. And for the next four weeks, we will be um, um, looking at the theme I can only imagine. And I know you're probably not going to believe this, but, you know, there are a lot of homes in America that are not very happy places. There's a lot of dads who, like this guy, not very good guys. Not very nice. Not very kind. And a lot of times our kids suffer, our relationships suffer because we are just thrown into a situation that we really don't understand, nor can we really deal with. And and you know, I'm glad that I had a dad who showed me how to love like a godly man. And you know, I'm amazed at my boys now because I watch them dad, and man, they are so good at it. They are so loving and kind and patient, and it it just does my heart good to see them doing the dad thing the right way. I don't know what kind of home you came from, but I wonder what kind of dad you had. Kind of wonder what kind of dad you are or you used to be or you want to be. Because the piece that I think we start with today has to do with a loving father. Trying to get the approval of your father. And you know, we spend a whole lot of time in our life doing that, don't we? Sometimes even after our dad is gone, we still seek his, his approval. There's a small nonprofit art organization that goes into the public schools and a lot of times they go into schools in pretty rough parts of the city. And their whole goal is to go in and to help students visit their imagination. In fact, they call it visits to imagination station. When I was in grade school, I had a teacher who liked to push us into this place. We had these things under our desks. They weren't real. They were invisible. And she would say, why don't you all reach under your desk and get your syncopated imaginator and put it on and tie it around your neck. I mean, that was the lamest thing I'd ever heard. And I did it for a few times because it was kind of fun. But I remember one day, I didn't do it. And she called me out. She said, Jerry, why aren't you putting on your imagine?" I said, I think someone took mine. And she said, well, would you come up front here? And I had to go up front. She opened her desk drawer, and she pulled out nothing. She said, I have an extra. Why don't you put it on in front of the class? I never did that again. Whenever she asked for that, I put it on, you know. But, you know, imagination is such a powerful thing. These young people, they come from very hard places. You don't have to come from a hard place to not have a happy home. 
You don't have to come from a hard place to have a fractured family. But imagination is powerful. Imagination can take us to a place where we can make in our heads the impossible possible. I don't know if you know this, but on any given day, 23,000 scheduled flights take off and land in America. That means at approximately any given time, there are one million Americans, I guess and others, flying 30-some thousand feet in the air at 300 miles an hour at any given moment. A hundred years ago, this was science fiction. Today, it is science fact because of the imagination of two brothers, Orville and Wilbur. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't. They were preacher kids, PKs. Usually we try to lock those guys up somewhere, don't we? Two preacher kids had this imagination thing, and before long, their imagination became reality. Impossible, possible. And we serve a God who has imagined a pretty unbelievable life for us. So I guess today where we need to start is right at the basic beginning with God speaking to his son. If you have your Bibles, this is not a new, unfamiliar piece of scripture. Matthew chapter 3 starting with verse 11, something that we've heard many times. But maybe today I, I, I can point my finger to at least three things out of this text that shows us a lot about the heart of God, the heart of the Father Towards his son. John the Baptist speaks and says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the the chaff, the waste, with unquenchable fire. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. He tried to convince him otherwise, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So then John consented. He said, okay, 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 okay. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. doesn't say a dove. It says the Spirit descended. It looked like a dove. And lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Not new material, right? However, there are some characteristics I think that we can understand from this piece that will help us understand how important it is for the love of a father to be strong. John the Baptist invited people to imagine. Imagine meeting someone 
who will come to take away the sins of the world, meeting someone who will bring redemption to all. And then we're told in that piece that Jesus came for baptism. They were adults now. Jesus was about ready to begin his ministry. John the Baptist was a cousin, and he was kind of quirky. I mean, he came from the desert. No one lives in the desert except quirkies. He looked quirky. He wore quirky clothes. He probably smelled quirky. And he ate quirky food. I mean, the guy was quirky. And he had a lot of people on his bandwagon. And he says, hey, you know, someone is coming after me, someone who is coming, who is greater than I, I'm not even fit to carry his sandals. And then Jesus enters. John does his best to talk him out of this thing. And Jesus says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So let's talk about this righteousness thing again, okay? Righteousness means what? Right living. It has to do with obedience. So Jesus is basically saying, in order to fulfill obedience, we need to make this happen. And I'm sure John didn't get it. He didn't really understand it. But as long as Jesus was saying these words, as long as it had to do with obeying the Father, as long as it had to do with um, uh, doing the best they could to live right in God's eyes, he was all in. You see, it's obedience that pleases God. Obedience in our home, in our marriage, in our workplace. Obedience in our hobbies with our friends, it's always obedience. When obedience is highlighted and lifted up, the Bible says the Father is pleased. When there is no righteous obedience, that's when we begin to have problems. So as soon as John heard these words, the Bible says he consented to to baptize. Now, Jesus was sinless, correct? And we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, correct? Then why in the world was Jesus baptized? As an example for us to follow. That's how he connected to the Father. That's the way we connect to the Father through the Son. So here are three ways. Three ways that this piece of Scripture shares characteristics about the Father in terms of Jesus. And the first thing is this. God, in this piece of Scripture, identifies with Jesus. We read in the text that immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. This is my boy. The Father connects, identifies with Jesus, because they were family. Have you ever made a new friend and you really didn't know what they thought about you until maybe they either said it verbally or introduced you to a friend? You know? Maybe you're with this new friend and you walk up to someone and they say, hey, this, 
this is Clark here, this is Jerry Clark. Uh, uh, man, he's really a nice guy. You know, I like him, and I think you're going to like him. And, and you, you really don't, but, but he, you begin to hear that warm, fuzzy talk, right? And it begins to feel good. I was in college. Our basketball coach asked me to come to a rotary meeting. I didn't even know what a rotary was. I thought it had something to do with my car, you know? I don't know. But I, he, he said free meal, so I was in, you know? So I went to this meeting, and I'm eating. I'm on, on like my third plate. I have a friend with me, and he's eating pretty good too. And coach gets up and starts talking, and he begins to uh, uh, talk about the team this year and what's going to happen. And I hear my name, so I quit eating. And then he tells all these guys, these movers and shakers, these big shots, that I was his starting point guard this year, and I was going to be a co-captain, and I was this, and I was that. And I, I almost threw up hearing all those nice things from this coach guy who always yells at me. You know, but, but, but it was a good feeling. And I'm sure you've had some times when your parents have said things like, you know what, you're doing okay, hang in there. I know this is a D, but you're doing okay. We're proud of you. Just don't do it again. And you will live to see your next birthday. You know, that's kind of the scenario. I mean, it makes, makes us feel good when people say good things, right? God said, the voice from heaven said, this is my, my son. You know, when I was growing up, I was often called Bill Clark's boy. And then as I got a little bit older, my dad became Jerry Clark's dad. I thought it was kind of cool. I had boys and my boys became Jerry Clark's boys and then they got older and I became their dad. We, we used to have a dog. The boys were little. Andy wanted a wellow dog. He couldn't say yellow, but he could say wellow. So we went to the Humane Society and we found a wellow dog and they were trying to decide what to name it. All he could say was Chi-Chi. Every dog he saw was a Chi-Chi. So we call it Chi-Chi. Those of you who kind of grew up in this part of the town, our dog just kind of ran the neighborhood. One day I was out mowing grass and I had two little girls stop, so I stopped to mower and they said, Are you Chi-Chi's dad? You know, so sometimes there is some identity there, and sometimes it's good, sometimes maybe not so much. In the text, we see God identifying with Jesus, and he calls him his son. This whole baptism thing was an act of obedience. It was a symbolic representation of how Jesus identified with the Father and how the Father identified with Jesus, stepping into and living out what God imagined for Jesus. You see, Jesus did not have to earn God's favor to please him. What pleased him was his obedience. I don't want to blow you out of your chair today, so hang on tight, okay? You don't have to earn God's favor today to receive his blessings. However, obedience is the key. And if you obey and if you walk with him, the Bible promises that he will bless. And for the next few weeks, this is where we're going. 
We'll talk about these various things that we can do to make us better people. In Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 26, the Bible says, You are all sons and children of God. You are sons and children through Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and you are heirs with Jesus. So the same privileges that the Son, Jesus, has from the Father we can claim those same blessings. I mean, that's a pretty huge promise. Not only does God want to identify with us, but he wants us to identify with him, and that's all about obedience. God identifies with you and me, and he wants us to identify with him. Now, if you work for a company, I know a lot of people out here work for various places. If you work for Mama's Pizza, maybe one of the perks is free pizza. I mean, maybe that's kind of a perky thing, you know? Maybe if you work for Toyota, maybe one of the perks is, uh, I have some Toyota people out here, very careful. Maybe you get a discount on batteries. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you get the shirts that say Toyota or Mama's Pizza or First Christian Church, you know? First, believe, belong, I'm part of you. Yes, you know. I mean, maybe that's a, you know, they say those people who work at church, Steph, the perks are out of this world. That means someday when we're in heaven, we will enjoy the perks of the church. So I don't know who you are, but, you know, that's the way we can identify, you know. We were in Israel, and in some places they want you to wear your head covered. They kept trying to sell me these little things for my head, little beanie things. Okay, I'm just calling them beanie things. I really know what they are, but I'm just kind of helping create a picture here. I had a Nike head. I told them I was from the tribe of Nike. And then if that didn't get me anywhere, I told them I was from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, you know. But we all connect somewhere. There's some way, some shape, some form that we connect, and that's part of our identity. Once we identify with God, we may not understand or clarify everything, but we know that we will figure it out later. When our boys were little, we did many things to protect them from danger. You don't put your finger in the socket because your hair will like this. You know, you don't do that. We don't do that anymore because now we have these plastic things, right? And we slap them in the plug-ins. We don't have to teach them that. Now we just teach them to stay out of the street. Don't do this. Don't do that. They don't understand or get it all, but they will thank us later, won't they? (laughs) I have a little guy in New Albany. Um, Last week he was playing on the monkey bars. And monkey bars can be dangerous, can't they? And if we were out there or his mom and dad, we'd probably say, okay, Eli, don't be careful up there. That's a monkey bar. You're not a monkey. He fell, has a spiral fracture now in his tibula. Got a big cast on for two weeks. At the end of this week, he will be in a walking cast, and they want him to keep no weight on his leg. Have you ever tried to tell a six-year-old not to move? Don't put any weight. Don't do this. Don't do that. I think next time he's on the monkey bars, he will be a little bit more careful, don't you think? 
I mean, maybe he has learned his lesson. Maybe he will thank his mom and dad later for a cast. He's got a little bit of a walker thing about this big now because he can just hop. I mean, it makes my heart hurt. But I think he will understand the whole concept that gravity always wins from this day forward. And I think God does the same thing with us. He, he knows what's best for us. He gave us this book, and this book is to help us understand what's right, what's wrong, what good is obedience, what good is failure. I mean, he, he helps us understand that. And if we're going to identify with the Father, we had better learn to submit. We don't like that word, do we? Anybody here like to submit to anything? Anybody? Not so much. We need to be willing to give up our old ways, our old habits. Anybody here have any old ways, old habits you're not very proud of? Most all of us do. We need to be willing to start living, thinking, and doing the things that are obedient to the Father. It makes all the difference in the world. It will help shape us. It will help transform us. So God identifies with Jesus. The second thing we can learn about this is is that God loves Jesus. This sounds kind of simplistic, I know. But you know, guys, we're not very good with those words, are we? The I love you stuff. You know, we don't even tell our soulmate that very often unless we're in trouble. Oh yeah, remember I love you. Our kids, that's a little tougher too. My dad is 90. Every Sunday afternoon, he calls me up, says, hey, how'd it go today? How's your week been? What's going on? You know, he goes through this whole big deal. And then at the very end, he says, hey, I just want you to know I'm proud of you and I love you. And after he hangs up, he calls my brother. And after he hangs up there, he calls uh, my boys. And he calls David's boys. So the time he's done calling on Sunday afternoon, he's ready for a nap. Down he goes, you know. But just to hear your dad or someone important to you say those words, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? This is my boy, this is my son, whom I what? I love. I'm sure that made a difference in the life of Jesus. You are mine, you are loved, and God speaks the same words to to us today. And This love statement shapes us, it transforms us, it makes us better or different than we are. There's a story about a missionary who was going to a village and he wanted to share the good news of Jesus. He knew, however, the chief told him before he even got there, the only way you can come and share in this village is to marry into it. That's kind of a deal breaker, you know? So he was there just as an outsider for several months. The people really enjoyed him, and the chief liked him. And the chief wanted to offer him his first daughter. And evidently she was beautiful and she was quite the catch. The only kicker is the time the missionary had been there, he really had connected with the second daughter who the chief thought would never marry. Evidently she wasn't quite the catch. So he ended up marrying the second daughter. 
And they traveled for a couple of years sharing the gospel of Jesus in, throughout the region. When they came back to her home village, the people did not even recognize her. They said she looked different, she acted different, she held herself different. And she said, well, it's because my husband really loves me. Makes all the difference in the world. And because of that, I have become more than I could imagine. The fact that Jesus was God's loved son is crucial because it identifies Jesus and the Father. It also identifies us as children of God. I think it's Romans 8. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Catch that? So what can separate you from the love of God? Okay, my microphone not working. What can separate you from the love of God? These guys are honked. Yeah, they're there. Okay. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a huge thing. The only thing, the only thing that can knock the love of God out of your life is guess who? You. You have the power to separate yourself from the love of God, and it all has to do with how you live. The decisions you make, where you go, what you... How does the song go? Let, let me kind of break it down, and this is probably not right, so don't throw things at me. There is no place that God would not go for you. There is no door that he would not kick down for you. There is nothing he would not do. Jesus is the best model of God's love that we will ever see. In fact, Jesus allowed the Father to shape his life. And because of that transformation, he went to the cross to die for our sins. Not because we deserve it, but because of love. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. Catch this. You are not too far gone for the love of God. Isn't that a great statement? Aren't you glad there's there's something like grace and forgiveness available to all of us? And let's face it, dads, probably there were times when you probably would not qualify for dad of the day. Husband of the month. Good guy of the week. Probably not. But our God's a God of second chances. Do-overs, try-agains. God identifies with Jesus. God loves Jesus. And one more thing we see about the Father's heart for Jesus. God is pleased with Jesus. In fact, the Bible says, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. The last word God chooses to say is that he is well pleased with his son Jesus. This is before he even began his ministry. Before he began doing uh, the part of the plan that God had prepared him for. The phrase well-pleased means that he was amazed and he delighted in him. Jesus, again, did not earn God's love or favor, but he received it because of his obedience. That's when the blessings came forward. You know, I wonder if God has ever grabbed one of the angels or maybe his son and gone right to the edge of heaven. I wonder if he's ever pointed down and said, hey, you see Clark down there? He's my beloved son. 
I love him. And with him, I'm well pleased. I wonder if he's ever said that about you or, 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 or your family. I wonder if he's ever mentioned that or thought it through in heaven. You know, God knows our potential and he knows what we can become and he knows what's best for us. Because Jesus lived out his identity as a loved son, he walked in obedience and that shaped him. Did he have to go to the cross? No. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. That's why he prayed to the Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, if there's any way we can go with plan B, let me do it now. Our identity as children of God will help shape what God wants us to be. And I think God has a plan for you. I think God has a plan for his family. I think God's plan is probably more right now than you can imagine. But I'm willing to bet the ranch today that God's plan is perfect. And maybe during this time of communion, maybe here's what I could encourage you to do, is pray that God might help you figure out that plan. Remind yourself that you are connected to him, that you are his son or his daughter, and that you are loved, and because of how you live, he is pleased. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for our homes.